3: Wiggins, America.
1: The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee.
2: Wiggins. Today's global economy
1: waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes.
3: Welcome to Wiggins, America.
1: with Chris Woolsey in the first hour about some streaming options. If you didn't hear that, you can rewind or you can podcast it and hear the suggestions made there. There's one movie I forgot to talk about, though, and that is one that I watched, let's see, last weekend now. It is called No One Will Save You. It's a thriller slash horror movie because it kind of goes back and forth between the two. You remember the first time you ever watched Terminator or Terminator 2? That movie... And I think actually John Wick kind of did this, too. It just goes and goes and goes. And most movies have kind of these ebbs and flows where it gets very, very intense, and then you get like a breather. John Wick didn't do that at all. If you go back and watch the first one, it it just goes. Like the minute you think something is done and you can close a chapter and, okay, we're going into act two, it's like it just starts immediately again. I was really impressed by that movie. Well, the Terminator ones was like that too, where it just runs, 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 runs. Now they do have some ups and downs, but it's constantly running. They never stop running and they're moving, trying to get away the whole time. That's what this movie's like. It's called No One Will Save You because as it starts, I won't give any spoilers, but when it starts, you think, oh, this is going to be kind of a haunted house kind of movie, but it's dealing with aliens. And so she's going to be stuck in this house and trying to get out. And how does she get out? And, you know, what happens? Well, that only lasts 15 minutes. And then she gets out of the house. And then she's just running the rest of the movie. And she cannot get away. And it is very, very haunting. It's very scary. And it's about aliens. So uh, that's all I'll tell you. Oh, the other thing. There is not a single line of dialogue in the entire movie other than maybe I love you, Maud. I think there I don't even know what it meant. It was just like okay, uh, Maud's not even a major character in the movie, but there is no talking in that movie. That to me, as a writer, is impressive because when you write a movie with no dialogue, you have very little control over the way it looks and the way it comes out. Because your characters usually dictate the pace, they dictate the direction of things, and if you're just writing action, it's really hard to do. So. All that to say, it's great. Highly recommend. No one will save you. Now, let's talk about this.
3: American Media Export. Wiggins, America. All
1: right. There are these songs that I found that Nickelodeon has been playing. And I don't know necessarily if, if these are just online things or little vignettes. Like if you watch the Disney Channel, they really don't. If you ever notice, they really don't have commercials on the Disney Channel. They have features vignettes they have little promotional things they promote other shows but they don't have commercials i think disney channel is actually a big promotion for disney that's what it is so the channel itself as far as i know it doesn't really make money other than maybe little sponsorships they do of the vignettes aside from that it doesn't it just promotes itself and they make money elsewhere well nickelodeon's never been like that But my guess is that they've taken a page from Disney and said, oh, kids will stay longer through commercial breaks (laughs) if there's any kids watching regular TV anymore. I don't know. Maybe this is online stuff. That's why I don't know exactly what their point in these things are. But the characters in the show are named Jade and Max. And Jade and Max are little kids. So this isn't angled toward older kids. This is Nick Jr. kind of stuff angled toward kids two to five in that age range And they they talk a little bit about the world and life and politics and things in these things. Well, that's not necessarily wrong, but you, of course, you recoil when I say that you have a a predisposition to exactly what that's going to be. Because you assume that if they're doing it, it's probably going to be left-leaning at best, if not all the way in and if i'm talking about it here on the radio you assume well it's going to be pretty bad right well let's listen cuz that's the way i went into this because it was kind of making news on the on the twitters and i thought okay here we go what what are we going to have here and then i listened to the song and i'm without saying anything i'm going to play this song and i want to see what you think if everyone is complaining about the government all of the time, then why do we even have
3: one at all? Bro, if we didn't have a government, things would be much worse and be like one of those end-of-the-world video games. Let me tell you about the government and what they're supposed to do, like help us solve our problems and keep us safe too. We were born with an inalienable rights like the pursuit of happiness, liberty, and life. We got freedom of speech and it's our job to defend it from all our enemies, foreign or domestic. Elected officials, they work for us, we hold them accountable, and they earn our trust.
1: All right, I'm going to pause it there because so far I'm I'm like bracing when I'm listening to this song going, all right, what's coming? What's coming? And really all they talked about was they, they introduced some constitutional principles, the pursuit of happiness, liberty, life, and justice, and they talked about the roles of government. And I'm going, okay, what are you going to say? Well, they actually just said, well, it's to keep you safe from domestic and foreign enemies. Well, that's true. <laughs> that is actually a very constitutional view of the role of government. But maybe they're luring you in. All right. That's the first verse. And then we get to the chorus here. Well, hang on a second now. Now they're talking about infrastructure. That's actually another good reason that government exists is to do things like support infrastructure. These are actually rather conservative principles I'm hearing so far. And the government is here to serve you and me, not the other way around. We don't serve the government. The government serves us. Government is derived from the power of the people, not from the power of the gover- governors. That's the theme so far. All right, we're barely into this, though.
3: So much work done to keep the public services running, from the schools to the firefighters down to the plumbing. But a government can only be as strong as its citizens. It's a reflection of its constituents. Get up the vote, so they gotta acknowledge not just. They promised it was liberty and justice for when all it's so of us. A healthy society It's what allows us to be a democracy. They run the buses and the trains, they regulate the planes. Did you know the government should work for you and me?
1: All right, it goes back into the chorus there, which uh, is, I mean, it's a terrible song, but uh, I like the message. I'm not really hearing anything in there. And, hey, I'm looking at this on conservative websites going, waiting for the other shoe to drop. I actually kind of like this. This is good stuff they're teaching kids, two to five. I don't know if they can grasp that we're talking about uh, foreign policy and domestic infrastructure issues. But, you know, this is a message that's really not that far off. I think it's important to highlight that sometimes, especially when we expect the opposite and are delivered something good. I think this is actually something good. It's weird because it feels like so woke. It feels like there's about to be something that makes you go, oh, there it is. And it never comes. I'm telling you, that was really much the whole song. There's very little after I stopped it there. It's a good message. Now, the other one that was making the rounds from this Jaden Max show or vignette thing was another song i guess they do a lot of songs in this show and it's these two characters and they're kind of figuring out life just like a kid would well here's the other one and this one i'm going okay all right that maybe the first one was fine but what's what's causing the internet to stir about this so here's the second one
3: is better than banana yep no way banana is the best flavor everybody knows that i think it's okay to like different things you got to listen to your heart, there's no other way. Cause you're the only you at the end of the day. There you go. So their favorite color's blue and yours is green. Well, mine is a magical aquamarine. Doesn't matter the color cause your favorite's great. (laughs) Are you listening? Let's appreciate the differences. Hey, hey, sit, are you listening? Yeah. You got your love that makes everybody different. <laughs> Respect and celebrate. Everybody's different in their own way. Accept and appreciate. Everybody's different in their own
1: way. All right, this one was uh borderline. I kept waiting for it to go over the razor's edge, and it never really did. And I got to tell you, if the internet is crying foul on these things, I disagree. I don't think there's really anything terribly wrong with that song. Now, like I said, it was right on the line because we've had this conversation in my household many times with my kids that there are a lot of messages out there that are pretty good, but they're just a little off. This one is maybe in that category, although they actually kept it within the boundaries of pretty well, that they're talking about personal preference. They're just talking about opinions. And, oh, I like bananas, you like blueberries. I like blue, you like red. You know, that kind of stuff. And that's fine. And they're saying, well, we got to celebrate our differences. Okay, whatever. That's fine. Um, No huge problems there. The problem for me in that messaging, and they didn't go there. I give them credit for that. They didn't quite go there. But what happens with that message a lot is it becomes follow your heart, and they did say that, and make your decisions for yourself. Well, that's fine. But then – your opinions are not facts. Your feelings are not facts. They are opinions. You have, to, you have to delineate that. You have to make that clear, especially to a kid, that you may be feeling something, and that doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, it's, feelings are okay. Feel your feelings. But your feelings do not dictate truth. And I think there is a a very distinct line there that needs to be drawn, especially for a kid. And we draw it in my household a lot because that message is very, very common. That message is in almost every kid's program out there at all. So we address those things in my house that way. And I think that's the way to do it. Basically, like... If it get, that message gets all the way, it's saying, you are God. You determine whatever is true, and your truth is your truth. And that's just bull. So overall, though, I got to give Nickelodeon props. They didn't really go there, even with that message, which is very easy to do because everybody does. They didn't go there. And when they talked about politics, they really talked about good things that we all can agree on. Let's celebrate the wins. That's a good one. All right, stick around. We're going to talk in this hour with a guy who wrote a book about election fraud, but he's debunking a lot of the claims that Mike Lindell made. I'm not afraid to go there. Are you? Let's do it. Is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. I saw a meme and I had to screenshot it and take a picture and send it to my wife. <laughs> this is killing me. The meme is of a person standing in a doorway, like creeping. Let's say you were on the toilet and you looked up at your toilet at the door, the bathroom door, and you saw somebody standing there holding a bag of chips. <laughs> and it says, my kid coming into the bathroom while I'm taking a dump to ask if he can eat a family-sized bag of chips for dinner. <laughs> Which is funny. It's a funny meme on its own because, hey, we've all been there. But, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's, <laughs> do- <laughs> it's Dr. Phil. <laughs> for no reason. Somebody took a meme that was already funny and just put dr phil's head over the body of the person asking about the chips Uh, this is why this is why i'll never really achieve anything in radio (laughs) because i'm supposed to do something real right now we will i'll be right back trish is coming to the studio we'll get this thing back on the rails hang on In studio is Trisha. Do you want to talk about Fred Bird and Louis at all? or Not really. They were here early this week. Yeah, they were. And they, we got some pictures. Yeah. I'm going to try to remember to post mine. Really great. It was really great for you guys. And we all realize you can kind of just do whatever you want if you're mm-hmm. wearing a costume. Well, Lots of patent on the head. You know what? It doesn't have to be weird, though. It doesn't have just, to be weird. My, my point is not it's, not... it's not weird. My point is not you can get away with things that you normally wouldn't. I guess well, I guess it kind of is, actually, because I'm not saying things that are wrong. No. Just you, that you can like walk into a restaurant and be like, hey, I'm just going to walk behind the counter or here. Or you, you know? can walk
4: into a studio when somebody's on yes. air, or you can disrupt a phone call. or Yeah, I, yeah. it's fun. It's good. It's All totally good fun. fun. But yeah. you
1: have to be... Does, do you have to be officially sanctioned? Like if you see Fred Bird walking around, you know that's the Cardinals. You you can't just buy a Fred Bird outfit. But if you walk around wearing some weird outfit can like you you're also a giant
4: possum op- and you're just walking around. <laughs> yeah, like or you're wearing the union rat up costume people's papers on, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> can can that get you special privileges? I don't know. Are you going to try it? I think I might. You should. I'm going to go to Denny's dressed as Aladdin and see if as I can Aladdin? get free pie. Yeah. Like
4: shirtless with a vest. Look,
1: this 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 plan is happening right now. I don't I don't haven't thought it <laughs> Look through. Look out, Denny's. Yeah.
4: No, there's nothing more I want to see when I'm eating my eggs at Denny's. And then. I have to
1: have somebody walk ahead of me and go, Prince Ali, and then I will walk in. So you might be that. I will not be that. Okay. <laughs> I do not love any of it. I got a couple of Christmas stories I want to run by you. Okay. First of all, have you have you seen the rocking around the Christmas tree stuff? This has been a story this week, but I was like, it's it's too amazing to not mention. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree has finally hit number one after 65 65 years. 65 years,
4: yeah. How does that happen?
1: So I guess they changed the rules about 20 years ago as to what could hit number one. And I think it's based on the internet, that things were being resurrected more. So it wasn't just, oh, the latest new thing, that you could see a song And maybe it's remakes too, because I think they were people were redoing Elvis songs, Mm -hmm. and they were going to number one, and so they had to rewrite the rules a little bit. Well, since then, because there's just so much out there, if you have a Christmas song at this time of year, they're going to number one actually pretty often. So, all I want for Christmas, Mariah Carey, has been number one two years in a row. That doesn't surprise me. That's like the Christmas song. Yeah, but But this one just rocking
4: around the Christmas tree. I don't. It's. Great, but I don't, like, more so than Jingle Bells, yeah. more so than the first Noel, more it's, so than some yeah. of these
1: that... Well, it's this version with Brenda Lee, right. which she sang when she was 13. This is, That's this like is the, the fact. OG version. Oh, it's it's the same yeah. one we're still listening to today. Yep. It was made in 1958. Brenda Lee is still alive. So she was 13 years old when she made that. And she is now, let's see, 78. Wow. And... The crazy thing, and this is why I was like, oh my gosh, it's just like weird facts about this, is that if Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree had gone to number one when it was released, she would have been the youngest woman ever to hit the top. Instead, now at 78, she's the oldest artist to ever hit the top of the Billboard charts. Isn't that neat? The oldest before that, New Orleans jazz legend uh, Louis Armstrong was 62 when his version of Hello Dolly hit the tops in 1964 mm. that's just neat yeah do you I agree random question but are there any christmas songs from the last 20 years that you like or is it all old christmas stuff
4: no i only like the instant christmas song merry christmas <laughs> happy holidays
1: it's the only one i like i listen to it on repeat now that you say that we've had this discussion yeah. haven't we mm-hmm. I, I have i still don't know the song one christmas song is it actually good or are it's you just
4: joking? so good. And if you want to listen to it, we can. Um, <laughs> because it's maybe, the best. it's maybe my favorite song of all time.
1: No. Yes. Uh, other Christmas story. Airbnb is offering a deal for one family to spend three nights at Santa's home in Finland. Mm. Now, this to me seems like a little bit of marketing because we all know that Santa doesn't live in Finland, even though it is pretty far north in Finland. No, he's at the North Pole. Yes, clearly. Uh-huh. This is all just... Also,
4: Santa would be really... It would be a really bad time of year for him to have visitors, so...
1: Well, that's why I think you can stay at his house, because he's out. So you can stay at what they say is Santa's house in northern Finland. It's pretty darn cold, but they're giving it away for free. It's, it's just like a free promotion. And I've seen the pictures of this place. Pretty cool. Super impressive. Yeah. I mean, it really does look like you'd picture the North Pole looking like. How do you win this? Uh, I think you have to apply on Airbnb. And, oh, the other thing that you have to do if you win, though, is that you'll have to help. I don't know if they have a real post office up there, if this is like another facsimile thing. They have a Santa's post office at in this city in Finland, and you have to help sort through the 30,000 letters that he gets a day because I guess they go there. I don't know. Here's the question, though. Mm-hmm. If you win it, you have to dine on finished food while you're there. Do you take that flyer and do it? What is finished food? I'll tell you. Okay. It's mostly breads, cheeses, and cheese breads. <laughs>
4: That's <is> mostly my <laughs> diet here anyway. <laughs> I, I know.
1: I thought the same thing. I'm like, dude, I'm in. And bread for breakfast, bread and cheese for lunch. Creamy salmon soups, pastries mm-hmm. and pies. So lots of breads. And actually they say sautéed reindeer. I'm not, but that you can't eat reindeer at Santa's. (laughs) Well, they're not the magic ones, they're just regular. We don't think there's a bit
4: of a conflict there.
1: No, no, no. As long as you're not, I'm not even comfortable talking about this part of the story that
4: it says that you eat reindeer in this story about
1: sauteed reindeer
4: spending time at Santa's house.
1: Yes, yeah. I don't think they they let you see them killing the reindeer. Well, that's,
4: I mean, that's like, come stay at the Easter Bunny's house and we're going to eat rabbit, but it's not magic rabbit, so it's okay.
1: Well, that's kind of true. We got to stop because I have to give enough time, Trisha, as you know.
4: To play the Insane Christmas song? No.
1: No. Shoot. To um, Bob Zeidman, because he's coming up next. This is the guy I've been waiting for all... So I wanted to do like a fun segment here because I'm like, oh, this is going to get heavy. So coming up next, Bob Zeidman is going to be on the show. If you haven't heard me promoting this so far, which I have been all day, he is the guy who sued and won against Mike Lindell's Prove Mike Wrong Challenge at Mike Lindell's Symposium. I want to find out why he did it, what he found, and what, you know, was he trying to disprove Mike Lindell or was he just a data guy and he was just there for the challenge? I, I don't know the answer to these questions. I'm going to find out next. Stick around. That's next on Wiggins America. 97.1 FM Talk. This is Wiggins America. been looking forward to this interview all weekend. Uh, this is Bob Zeidman on the phone with us. He has a book called Election Hacks. Lindell versus Zeidman because you have now a storied history with Mike Lindell and I want to hear all about it. Bob, how you doing?
2: I'm doing well, Ryan. Thanks for having me on your show.
1: So in this book, let's walk through the story that happens here, because I remember Mike Lindell talking about his symposium and it's all about election fraud. And and on this show, I mean, just for the record on this show, we do talk about election integrity. We talk about election fraud. We also vet claims that aren't true. Uh, I don't really care what is true. I just want to know what it is. So if there's fraud, I want to find out. If there's not, if these claims are bunk, I want to find that out too. And that's why you're here today is to talk about some of Lindell's claims, which I personally, now I did not do nearly the research that you did, (laughs) but when he was releasing some of these things, I did do some, and I never really found any veracity to the claims that he made in particular. doesn't mean that there aren't other claims, but the ones that he was making I found to be weak at best. So you went to his symposium which I remember him talking about. Take it from there. What happens after you decide to go to the Mike Lindell Symposium?
2: Sure, first, if you don't mind, I just wanna thank you for what you
1: do because so
2: many people just have about a lot of things, but particularly about election fraud these days, they just have an opinion where they ignore what doesn't fit with their belief system. And uh, you know, I'm happy that you're willing to take a rational look
1: at it and examine the facts. Yeah, yeah, Uh, absolutely. Hopefully on every issue, but certainly with this one. Yeah.
2: So uh, I think your question was, uh, how did I find out
1: about the symposium or why did I go? Yeah. What happened once you went to the symposium? What were you intending to do? And then what happened?
2: Well, so it took some convincing from friends uh, that I should go because I just thought, first of all, I thought, well, I'd heard that Lindell was offering $5 million prize to anyone who could prove him wrong. And I told people he must be confident. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that the that the data was correct, but it at least was significant and accurate, and that if it wasn't correct, I wasn't going to ha- be able to figure it out in three days. Uh, and I read about it, and I had assumed that he had really highly competent people who had examined the data and come to a conclusion, which could have been wrong. But, uh, again, I've done this kind of thing as a career, examining data in courts and taking the results to court. And it, it it always takes more than three days. It takes weeks, sometimes months to understand what it is. But friends convinced me to go and uh, that I would be there when history was made. Either data was going to be put out that showed the election was fraudulent and Donald Trump had really won, not Joe Biden, or uh, even if not, Uh, it would eventually come out that this was bogus data. But in any case, I would be there at that historic moment. So that was my only uh, expectation when I went to the symposium.
1: So, Bob, refresh our collective memory. What exactly did Mike Lindell reveal or claim to have at that symposium that was going to shock the world?
2: So, Shortly after uh, uh, Joe Biden was uh, put in his inauguration, Uh, Michael Lindell said he had proof that somebody had hacked into our voting systems and purposely changed votes. At one point, the the explanation was that the voting machine companies had purposely done this to switch the votes. Uh, Another time, it was the Democrats, the deep state. the, The culprit kept changing, from what I remember. Until he settled on China. China had actually hacked into our elections over the Internet and went into each voting machine or, or the significant ones and changed the votes. And he had gotten the proof, which made me a little suspicious. I didn't know why a pillow salesman would have the proof and nobody else did. But you know, strange things happen. So I thought, well, maybe it's a possibility.
1: Yeah, it seemed like he had the money. It was more, th- more than anything else. He had the money to hire the people that could look into these things, even if he wasn't the one personally doing it. But So Bob Zeidman on the phone with us. He wrote the book Election Hacks, Lindell versus Zeidman. So where does the story go from there? So you attend the symposium. You, you hear what he's presenting or, or his presenters are presenting for three days. Then what happens?
2: Well, actually, I... Because I know uh, I know people who are very close to Lindell. I got myself invited. You had, as a cyber expert, someone who could examine the data, you had to get a, a specific invitation. So I got myself that invitation. And while while people were giving speeches in one room, in one auditorium, there were a couple of small rooms to the side with a guard. And if you had the, the credentials, which was a hot pink dot on your badge, they would let you into the room to examine the data that he and his team, well, Lindell's team, were giving out to all of the cyber experts. So I went into this room. While people were speaking, I went into this room and started looking at a massive amount of data. It actually took us hours just to download it and get it onto people's computers. And everyone started looking at it, and I thought, well, this is a uh, pointless exercise. But I thought, what the heck, I'm here. So I started looking at the data myself and having worked in computers since i was 13 so that was over 50 years ago i just started recognizing some patterns in the data and i said well i wonder if if this could be this if you did this kind of transformation on it uh you know would it turn into something else and it did and these transformations were not changing the data they were just uh you know for example you could Uh, If you were to look at the ones and zeros in a word processing document, then it would just look like ones and zeros, but if you put it into Microsoft Word, it suddenly pops up, the same data pops up as a document. And that's essentially what I was doing. I was just saying, well, let me look at it in this format. Let me translate it to this other format. And lo and behold, uh, all of a sudden, that's what actually popped up, a Word document full of uh, gibberish. But it was a fully formatted, thousands of pages, or hundreds, I forget, hundreds or thousands of pages of fully formatted, perfectly formatted uh, uh, gibberish. And that's when I realized that these were just ordinary documents that somebody had gone through these transformations that I had undone to make it look like something indecipherable. Uh, and that's when I excused myself from the room of cyber experts and walked outside and and started uh walking towards my hotel and I called up my wife on the phone and I said uh quietly so nobody could hear me I said start thinking about what you want to do with 5 million dollars.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay well okay so break that down for me because as a person and assuming most people listening are not cyber experts what did you just say there that that somebody went in and and falsified reports to make it look like there was election fraud when there wasn't? Is that what you're saying? This wasn't even election data. It it was. So what happened
2: is Lindell had said, I have packet data, packet data. If you're on the Internet, if you're sending cat videos or emails over the Internet, that good turns into ones and zeros that are divided into small packets so that all these small packets are sent uh, one one at a time over the Internet. And then they reassemble it at the end if you're sending an email to your mom your mom's computer will reassemble it into what looks like an email and he had told everyone that this is going to be packet data packets of chinese hacking somehow chinese hacking into the network of voting machines so everyone was looking for packet data and because i do this in court all the time i i, I a lot of my work is working in court I don't trust what people tell me. So if they tell me it's packet data and it's not because this was not packet data, I started looking for other things. And I've created my own tools for looking at things, too. And then as I was starting to look for things, that's where I found this data. But it had nothing to do with elections, nothing to do with networks, nothing to do with uh, voting machines. It was simple. In some cases, it was Word documents that somebody had just run through a translator to make it look like something else. When I say translator, like, for example, if you if you translated English to Swahili and then said, look at this complicated document with all these weird words in it, uh, if you don't speak Swahili, you'd say, wow, that looks really complicated. But it was just simply a translation.
1: Okay. So what happens from there? And and I'm really curious to know, did you approach this with kind of an open mind saying, hey, maybe there is or maybe there isn't? Or did you say, I'm going to go into this to disprove whatever he's going to do? I mean, I would think that that's kind of what you do all the time is that you're constantly having to be skeptical of any data you're presented.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I, I give talks. I've written books. I like talking to students. And I always tell them, be the first to challenge your own beliefs and your own work. If you do research, one thing that bothers me immensely, and I've I've written about this, is you get at universities, for example, even the top universities in the country, you get people publishing results from some study or doing some analysis, but they never challenge it. They are rarely do they do that. They rarely say uh, to themselves or or in the paper, "Here's here's the assumptions I made, and maybe these assumptions are wrong. Here's the analysis I did, and if somebody can point out my mistakes, please contact me. I've had a lot of experience in computer science where I've invented some tools where I I went to professors at major universities. and This is in the book. And I've said, you know, I think your tool is wrong. Let's discuss it and see if we could figure out how to create the best tool possible. And the response is always, I'm right, you're wrong. So I tell people, you know, what I do in court is I don't present any results until I've attacked them before the other side has. And if I find mistakes, I fix them. So that's what I do all the time. So if, you know, I was hoping this was signs of China hacking, because that would have been incredible news and affected uh, our entire election. Uh, But so I but I wanted to attack it before anyone else would. And When I started attacking it, it just fell apart easily.
1: Okay, so five million dollars is on the line. So you walk out of the symposium, you walk out of looking at this stuff and you call your wife and you go, I think we're going to make five million dollars. Well, yeah. what briefly happened from there? I know there's a lot that happens, but how can you summarize it?
2: Yeah, I think the summary is basically that I I I submitted a uh, – I wrote up my report. I do this a lot, so I've become very good at writing reports. So within – I took a few hours, wrote up a report. I remember maybe more than a few hours because I was up late that evening. Submitted it to the copyright office, so I had a record of it in case somebody came back and said, no, we've never seen this report before. And then uh, we got a lot more data. This is all in the book. But over the next two days, they gave us more and more data. And I just kept using the same kind of techniques and then uh, modifying the report. And I gave it to them the third day, at the end of the third day of the symposium. And the rules, Lindell had me sign official rules before I could see the data. Everyone had to. And so the official rules said that we needed to get this in by the end of the third day, by five o'clock, and by eight o'clock that evening or seven o'clock that evening, uh, they would determine a winner, which seemed ridiculous to me because, you know, you can't examine. We're talking about gigabytes of data. How could you determine whether I was correct in two or three hours? But that's what they said. And... uh so I waited to hear from them, never heard from them. I waited uh for another week, two weeks, a month, and then finally I contacted some lawyers and found some really great lawyers who said we'll take this on contingency, which means they would pay all their ex- all their fees and I would pay all the expenses. And uh they did, so we took it to arbitration and, and by the way they they were when we filed the arbitration as required in the rules that Lindell himself set up. Uh They responded with their analysis of my report. And the analysis was dated a few days after I filed the arbitration, which was already three months after the symposium had ended.
1: So they had never. Or two months, maybe.
2: Right. I don't, you know, it turned out that they, look, let me say, and again, this is in the book, the details. They, Lindell's people claimed, Lindell's people claimed that they had reviewed my report on the evening that I submitted it and found it to be lacking, that it wasn't legitimate. But they couldn't explain why their analysis was dated two months later. And and that's just some of the stuff that happened in the courtroom that I think is, to me, was fascinating. I so, think, I hope that I've written a book about, not just about fraud and con artists and, uh, People believing what they want to believe, but also just human nature that uh, people would say things that were provably false uh, and just stick to them if, because they they just wanted this to be true.
1: Bob Ziedman on the phone with us, author of Election Hacks, Lindell versus Ziedman. We got to hear the end of the story though, because we're going to run out of time here. But okay. did did you win? I mean, did you win five million dollars from the Mike Lindell Mike Wrong Challenge? Yeah, the prove my wrong challenge, I did. The
2: arbitrators unanimously uh, awarded me the $5 million. Wow. By the way, Lindell Lindell says that they were biased. They were liberals or biased against him. He he and his lawyers chose two out of the three arbitrators, (laughs) and I chose the third. Uh, I don't know any of their politics. None of us do, but I was unanimously awarded. The thing is, Lindell is still fighting it. Uh, He's appealing it. He has no grounds for appeal but he's just going to keep it in the court as long as he can to avoid paying me. That's what it seems like. Right,
1: right. Now, we're we're very much out of time here, but i got to ask you before we run out. uh, Did did somebody try to trick Lindell? I mean, he seems like a genuine guy to me. I don't think he's trying to deceive people, and he's clearly not a computer analyst. So did he just pay people who then turned around and said, well, we're just going to give Mike what he wants, and that's how this happened? The answer is
2: yes. And in the book, I can tell you who it was in the background. But at this point, any rational person would know he'd been fooled and he would come out and say, oh, I was fooled. Everyone is telling me now this data is bogus. But instead, he's doubling down, tripling down. He's just saying, no, 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 you're wrong. The one guy in the world who sold me the data, who's the only person who can who believes that it's real data. Well I shouldn't say the only person, but he's he's the most significant person. Claims is true and everybody else is lying. So you've got to think I think he was fooled initially, but now he's just
1: um, he's stuck with it. He's, <laughs> he's
2: just Yeah, he won't admit his mistake. He, yeah. yeah,
1: he's peddled to the metal. Well my our Bob, I really appreciate uh, your what you've done, I mean, this book has got to be fascinating. Election Hacks, it just came out. Election Hacks, Lindell versus Zeidman is the name of it if you want to read more about this topic. Uh, I find this topic absolutely fascinating, which is why I find your story fascinating, because this election fraud issue is one that is not going away, and it needs more light shined on it. We just need more light to disinfect this thing, to get the, the, the junk claims out of the way so we can focus on the real ones um, and the bigger, exactly. yeah, exactly. So, uh, anyway, Bob, thank you for your time. And I appreciate uh, what you've done. This is Wiggins America. If you missed, now this has been a long interview. So if you just tuned in at the end here and you missed the beginning, get the podcast and of course, get his new book, election hacks. This has been Wiggins America. We will see you next week.
2: Get more at 971
1: talk.com.